I'm Kate Daniels. In planning for retirement, healthcare is one of the big topics. J.O. is a Medicare expert and certified financial planner and the author of Maximize Your Medicare and joins us now to shed some light on the subject. J.O., welcome. Great to connect once again as we discuss all things healthcare-wise. Today, what we really want to address is to recap the fact that mid-January, we just finished the enrollment for the Affordable Care Act. So that is closed essentially until the end of the year, right, Jay? That is right. I think the thing for you here for our purposes today is just to discuss the fact that there are special enrollment periods. There are still ways to get ACA-compliant health insurance, but you needed to have ACA-compliant health insurance either privately or, for example, from your employer when your employer coverage had ended. And these things you know, are obviously very stressful when someone becomes unemployed. One of these, okay, I'm going to have health insurance when my employer has covered me during this period. Now they have to educate themselves. They have to understand what their rights and options look like. And then, of course, they have to consider you know, the financial cost of that coverage. And lots of people know about it, but not lots of people who are employed will know about it. Or again, you know, if they get thrown into the topic, brand new cold turkey, then all of a sudden they've got a lot of catching up to do. But the rules are in the buyer's favor, for sure. So hypothetically, someone mm-hmm. is employed where they, their medical premiums are being covered. Comes February, and all of a sudden, there have been cutbacks, and they no longer have this. So then they are eligible for the Affordable Care Act, true? That is correct. As long as they have had health insurance prior to that point, then when they are no longer covered by their employer, they have the ability to elect an ACA-compliant plan. They also have the right, depending on the size of that employer, have access to something called COBRA, which has its own set of technical rules and costs. So generally speaking, COBRA has a very high cost because you have responsible for 100% of the cost plus a small administration percentage as a fee. But what people will find is that, for example, a married couple, $1,200, $1,300 a month, that it might be important to look around to understand what your options are because the Affordable Care Act does have health insurance subsidies in the form of a tax credit, which people should explore and understand the implications of that before just diving into COBRA or diving into the ACA. So that comparison is an important one because obviously at $1,100 a month, you can understand that over a year-long period, that's a lot of money. Exactly. Not a couple hundred dollars a year. This is a multiple thousands of dollars a year, a point that I've been making in the newsletter as well as anywhere who will have me, basically. (laughs) So it seems to me, just very generally speaking, and this is just my opinion, it seems that the Affordable Care Act would be a better track to pursue because it's going to be a lot more affordable than going the COBRA way, which again has a time limitation on it too, I think, doesn't it? You have 60 days from the time that your coverage ends or... 60 days from the time that you receive a notice from your employer about your access to COBRA to look back and to start COBRA. But you are right in the sense that since you are responsible for 100% of the premium, 
that it may be too costly. It also may not be the ideal setup for your particular situation. So you first need to understand what actual rules, what your options are, the, the timeline, and then compare the cost compared to your needs, your location, your household situation. And then, of course, then applying and paying is an entirely separate step, which again, each one of these steps quite tricky and in reality probably should not be done alone. I'm going to be the biased, of course, because you know that is part of the services that we offer here. But it is important because each one of these steps, again, either from a cost perspective or the benefits perspective and the combination of that, those two with your personal situation, each one of the three has these little locations where even a single detail can change your reality and what the most appropriate, suitable path for a person. And in terms of a job ending, a layoff, or just complete termination because of cutbacks, what is the amount of time that's allowed that you could still apply for the Affordable Care Act? Does it have to be immediate or is there a little bit of a space in there to, I'm not sure, kind of come face to face with reality perhaps? You're absolutely right. You do have 60 days. Still 60. Okay. So, right. If we presume for the moment you lost your employer coverage at the end of the month, let's call it the end of February. Yes, you have through the end of April. However, I definitely Basically, one of my rules for any financial matter is to get your facts straight as soon as possible. Because while you have the ability to click and to apply and to be accepted within the 68-day window, the fact is is that you have to, for example, in the Affordable Care Act situation, if you want to benefit from the health insurance subsidy, which is the advanced premium tax credit, the reality is you must make the first payment by the 15th of the prior month. So what looked like 60 days is actually 45 days. Mm -hmm. So now you can see these combinations, situations where people say, okay, even when you know the rules, there's one reality, which is strictly how it works, but then there are the other nuances. And then what the single nuance, for example, and the difference of the subsidy can be easily seven, $800 a month. So now you've not gotten the seven, $800 of tax credit if, for example, you completed an application on the 20th of a month. That will not work for the next month. You cannot get the advanced premium tax credit in time right. because you needed to have applied and been accepted on the 15th. So now you can understand, for the people who can understand and have followed this seemingly crazy example, it's actually the way the system works. And you can understand my role is to try to clarify that for people so that they don't get tripped up on a small detail, something they did not intend. Of course, to the private person, if that's a risk they want to take, if that's a choice they want to make intentionally, then they'll get my full support, of course. What I'm trying to do is trying to prevent people from taking unintended risk, unintended circumstances, unintended ramifications to the greatest degree possible, of course, within the absence of a crystal ball. Oh, yes, that's always there, isn't it? So <laughs> That's right. So, Jay, for people who will want to look for the assistance and have your guidance, how do they connect with you? 
Sure. The best place is the website for my professional services firm, which is G for girl, H for horse, the number two benefits, B-E-N-E-F-I-T-S dot com. There are free quoting tools so that people can get an estimate of what health insurance subsidy they could be entitled to. In addition to that, there are, of course, contact forms there. People can also call. The toll-free number is 855-463-9688. And we return calls within 24 hours. And no, we won't be making robocalls <laughs> by getting your information. Great. Okay, so that is really important and valuable information. We have that all said. So now we're going to switch gears and look at this big, big thing that is weighing on, well, a huge number of people who are in the senior area of our life. And uh, that is Medicare and all the different little intricacies there. If we didn't think that (laughs) what we just talked about was intricate, well, this is definitely very intricate. So the numbers are really huge in terms of the people who are going to be stepping into that Medicare arena each year. And, And this year in particular, what is the number? 65 million is the number of persons that are enrolled in original Medicare at this point. So that is obviously a tremendous number, one that has been expected. We just have simple demographic reality of 10,000 people a day. And what was the largest generation, I think has now been fairly eclipsed, but certainly a huge number, one that will be relevant for pretty much the rest of the next couple of decades, certainly. Right. Yes. Feels like an astronomical number of people. And I dare say there are some, maybe the majority, somewhat befuddled by what all goes into this. And I wish there were some sort of one, two, three step. And I think maybe you're going to help us to kind of see some of that in a very short time this morning. And then once again, access your website to certainly look for more details. But in terms of Medicare, you enroll just at the time that you're turning. It's 65, correct? That is right. So for those persons who are not enrolled in employer-sponsored coverage, if you do not have health insurance, If you have ACA insurance, Affordable Care Act insurance prior to 65, then you're absolutely right, Kate. Your Medicare eligibility would be on the first day of the month that you turn 65. So if your birthday is March 15th, your actual start date, coverage date of Medicare Part A and Part B could be on March 1st. That is the earliest possible date that you would be eligible to be covered by Medicare. Now, the application process begins three months prior to the date that we just mentioned. So in my example, so three months prior to March 1st is actually, what is it? It is December 1st. So that is the beginning of the initial enrollment period, which is three months prior to the first day of the month that you turn 65. (laughs) I know that's a mouthful, (laughs) but yes, that is the beginning. And you get my 100% encouragement for people to understand what they are doing here at least by December 1st, because there are a number of steps, number of components to Medicare that you need to understand. And one of those is that there's a processing period by which your application is going to be accepted by the federal government, and that does not happen overnight. It can take two, three weeks easily. 
I've seen certain circumstances where there are complications where it takes almost the entire three months to resolve. So step number one always for me on Medicare matters is to begin the preparation of what the steps need to be early so that you can be ready to go at the beginning of the initial enrollment period. And of course, every case is somewhat different. But if we were thinking kind of in general of a person working until they reach that age of getting their Social Security, so now I think it's like 66 and a half or something like that, you should still apply for your Medicare coverage. Even though you're working, it's maybe best to keep things simple to apply and have it when you turn 65. It's a great question, Kate. It's the probably the most popular question that I receive. So in general, like rightly pointed out, you need to understand that, yes, that your Medicare eligibility remains 65, not your full retirement age under Social Security. So as we know, these two dates are no longer the same, right? When someone gets full retirement age and their full primary insured amount, which are technical Social Security terms. But yes, everything that I said about the timeline regarding Medicare eligibility and coverage does remain unchanged, irrespective of when Social Security full retirement age. So that's your first kind of takeaway. The second part is that you point out that many people enroll in Part A alone, even if covered by employer-sponsored coverage. In general, this can be true. The issue is for persons, which is a detail that should not be overlooked, is that if someone has something called a health savings account, otherwise known as an HSA, meaning that nobody can contribute into that account and simultaneously be enrolled and covered under Medicare Part A. Those two things cannot occur at the same time. Otherwise, that becomes a tax violation. So as a result, you'll want to be careful of that. But then if you do not have an HSA account or if you're not making contributions into the HSA account, then it is entirely possible to have Medicare Part A on the first day of the month that you turn 65 and simply not enroll in Part B because you are covered by employer-sponsored coverage. That is a valid setup for persons who continue to work beyond 65. Okay. It already feels a little complicated, <laughs> but, but that's why you are the one who knows this and we have questions and we want to be on a good, solid path. Connect with you at gh2benefits.com, right? That's true, Kate. And as we've spoken in the past, I am also the author of a published book on Medicare called Maximize Your Medicare. This There's the 22-23 editions, so it was released last year. The premiums do get updated from that time, but every the rationale, the approach of the book, the explanation of these nuances and details are fully flushed out there in Maximize Your Medicare, and that's available anywhere you can buy a book. It's a published book, so whether that be at your library or whether that be at a bookstore or Amazon, of course, everything's for sale on Amazon, <laughs> that you, know, you can access it there. Great. So you're doing whatever you can to try and help us navigate this and approach it in such a way that it all works to our benefit. That's what we really hope for. Very confusing, Kate, if I just might say, is that I realize that the language can be new and scary and intimidating, but really our entire discussions 
through what is now three years, I, I believe, is that while the language can be intimidating, while the rules may seem confusing, that it's not all negative, that once you understand the rules and the setup, that the practical reality is that the rules do favor the consumer. They do favor and especially favor the informed consumer because as a result, these plans are well-regulated and executed by companies that have had to have governmental approval in order to offer regulated plans in state, which is, of course, regulated by the state and federal level. And, of course, I'm regulated. Mm -hmm. So as a result, the reality is, is that once you do understand the rules and nuances of which we just scratched the surface, ultimately the rights and options are do benefit the buyer. That feels hopeful. It's meant to be, absolutely. Good. So in terms of Medicare and enrollment, and if you're still working, you're probably covered by your employer, and so you're not necessarily going to take advantage of anything related to Medicare, correct? Even here, nuanced case. Uh, So, for example, depending on the cost, and I'm just, we can use this irrespective of size of employer, which is that let's say the employer pays for X percent and you're responsible for 100 minus X percent, whatever that number would be. One of the main observations under my book, Maximize Medicare, is that you should still compare because original Medicare, Part A and Part B, are available at a cost that are quite advantageous. And on top of that, depending on your health situation, your financial situation, that the coverage under Medicare the benefits that you receive, whether that be Medigap or Medicare Advantage. And I won't go into the wormhole right now between the differences, but my point being that your access to Medigap or Medicare Advantage may be in your best interest. What very frequently happens is people just accept their employer-provided coverage, do not look at the entire landscape, and therefore are unaware of what is possible. And again, the differences here can be many thousands of dollars because as under Medigap, under Medicare Advantage, the deductibles, the co-payments are very frequently far lower than under employer-sponsored coverage. I think that because of that, a further examination is in order. This is my opinion. I mean, I've spent two entire chapters to discuss the matter because this is frequently overlooked and frequently costly, which is another way of saying you're giving up benefits that you may have been able to access under Medicare that you're not under your employer-sponsored plan. So there was this change to the insulin use copay, which is significant because diabetes is an epidemic in this country. So there are probably, not everyone uses insulin, but it's way up there, isn't it, in terms of usage. But a very positive change has occurred in that realm, correct? It's a great point, Kate. And I actually hadn't even considered the fact that these two were linked. You segued unintentionally, but quite uh, beautifully here today, gracefully which is that it's a very good example, which is that insulin under Medicare is capped at $35 a month copay. And this is a new change resulting from the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed last year. The issue is that under employer-sponsored coverage or individual coverage, well, employer-sponsored coverage mainly because you're 65, you're going on to Medicare if you're in covered by individual coverage, but on employer-sponsored plan, There is no requirement to do this. 
it's a very high cost item. Insulin is. It's a very widely used item. And so now you could have a type one insulin person and they would face thousands of dollars of costs under an employer sponsored plan. But under Medicare, because of the structure of Medicare, limited to $35 a month. So now you can see a very dramatic, large difference, for example, in the types of benefits and the cost of those benefits under two different programs. It's a great point, whether you that was your intention, <laughs> that is certainly one of the results. Absolutely. Well, you kind of guided me with some talking points, to be fair and honest, but uh, just as you were explaining it, then I thought this seems to perhaps fit. Yes, to, absolutely. But to clarify, too, prescription coverage is actually more in either Part B or C or D, isn't it, of Medicare? Right. So first, the Inflation Reduction Act was a mandate for all prescription drug coverage for persons under Medicare. So this is delivered in Medicare one of two ways either standalone prescription plan, which is called Medicare Part D for David. It is sold by individual health insurance companies, approximately 20 plans per zip code. That's a good working number. But irrespective of plan you choose, insulin is $35 for copay. Some plans will have an expanded list for other insulin or diabetes-related medications at different copays. There's a second path by which to get Medicare coverage for prescription drugs, which is embedded inside Medicare Advantage plans, which is Part C. This is also, generally speaking, the subject of most of the commercials that you'll see on TV are about Medicare Advantage, otherwise known as Part C. Many of the plans that are offered nationwide have embedded prescription drug benefits, which qualify as prescription drug coverage under Medicare. And those plans will also be offering insulin copay at $35 a month. So this really feels more clarified for me in terms of Part A, Part C, Part D. And what is Part B? Part B for boy is actually healthcare services. So I would have called this services. This is doctor's visits, office visits, durable medical equipment, x-ray, MRI, blood tests. These, generally speaking... Services you receive on an outpatient basis will be covered by Part B. You pay a premium for Part B. You have to enroll or apply for coverage in Part B, for example, separately. If you, for example, retire at 67 and you only have Part A, you need to do something in order to begin your coverage for Part B. But from there, you have a monthly premium, which can be increased due to taxable income or not. And then beyond that, there's a one-time annual deductible. Once you satisfy it, then what you have is Medicare will pay for 80% of the approved cost, and you are responsible then for 20% of the approved cost. Then is there a cost for Part C, Medicare Advantage? Medicare Advantage, that is determined by the carrier. So there can be plans with premiums. The reality is that there are many premiums nationwide, which costs zero, meaning there is no extra premium. You do need to be enrolled in Part A and Part B. Then you have to understand that Medicare Advantage Part C are annual contracts, meaning that all of the details are subject to change every year. So it's important to understand the nature of these contracts, the network, the co-payments, the co-insurance, the out-of-pocket maximum, the complicated jargon of insurance, that how they work. Part C is very popular, meaning that 
approximately 50% of the 65 million are enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan, either a privately purchased or employer-provided Medicare Advantage plan throughout the country. But you cannot get away from the fact that these moving parts will move every year, which has largely benefited people because the tremendous competition for a market of 65 million has improved, strengthened the benefits, lowered the costs that somebody might incur, especially applicable to people who, for example, live on Social Security as their main source of income. You can understand now the savings, $1,500 a year, for example, in premium alone easily can be saved by choosing Medicare Advantage. But again, you need to do some work to understand the nuances of Medicare Advantage. And then finally, for the Part D, prescription coverage, is that also a separate entity that you need to apply for, and is there a premium? For Part D, uh, the 20 plans approximately available. So first of all, you cannot have both Part C, Medicare Advantage, and Part D simultaneously. If a person chooses original Medicare, which is the federal card, Part A, Part B, and Medigap, Medicare Supplement, Medicare Supplemental, all three meaning the same, then your prescription drug coverage can arrive by you purchasing a Part D plan, standalone prescription plan, which does have a cost. The optimal combination depends on your location and your pharmacies, your prescription list, of course. From there, we figure out and help persons locate, enroll, apply for the you know, optimal plan, which is really the lowest cost given the moving parts inside of Part D. And that's where we then see we need guidance. It is still complicated. There's so many choices to make. I wonder how people have managed to be successful at this. What I appreciate is having it lined out like this and being aware so that as that age approaches, you can be prepared or even way ahead become educated because, as we said earlier on, we may need to be guiding our parents or some members of the family through this. So to know where to turn for information is really important. It is tricky, Kate. That's why I spend time here with persons like you who are so good to share this information, which is that Medicare has a language, specifically Medicare, has a language that looks like other insurance that you may have encountered in the past, whether that be individually purchased health insurance, employer-sponsored coverage, that the language, the jargon that I've used, which is copay, premium, deductible, coinsurance, out-of-pocket maximum, that it may look the same, but Medicare does work differently, especially to newcomers, especially to those persons who are helping some, they're not a Medicare eligible, but they're helping their Medicare eligible parent or aunt, uncle, that they need to realign their lenses, if you will, because to know that these definitions, while they look similar, they don't act actually exactly the same. And that is the reason that I swerve out of the way to try to reach out to people from different generations, because we know that this happens, that a person who's 85 years old gets overwhelmed with all of the moving parts can't necessarily follow every last detail, needs some assistance, asks for family members' help, a friend's help, and the well-meaning person. And, you know, you get my full support for being the well-meaning person who wants to assist. 
but you also need to be aware that the language may look the same. It just simply works differently under Medicare. So the way to be informed and provide good information, certainly, as you have mentioned, you have your book, Maximize Your Medicare. That is definitely a great resource. And let's have you mention the website once again for contact and more details. Sure. Either place will work. So there's gh2benefits.com, and that is a professional services firm for any financial planning topic, to be candid with you. There's also the Medicare-specific website, which is simply MaximizeYourMedicare.com. That is the website for the book. Both locations have ways to reach out, whether that be via contact form or phone call. You can do that. And then finally, kind of tying all of these many topics together and our conversations together is there's a free and paid newsletter called Jay's Corner. It is J-A-E-O-H dot substack dot com. I'll I'll send you the link that'll be included as well, where people can keep up to date because your excellent point about the insulin, this will happen. The Medicare system is not static. The same thing for the Affordable Care Act. There have been developments in the individual health insurance market, which has benefited many. But you do need to be aware that these changes occur and that they could have an impact on your access to benefits or your financial costs, either one. Well, once again, J.O., you just really open up this world for us in a good way and give us solutions, too. That's the important thing. And I am so grateful that we have these times to connect. And as we noted earlier, we're going to connect again in April and look at the role of women and how we are often taking on the role of navigating for our family. So I look forward to that time, and I am so grateful, J.O., that you want to do this kind of informational sharing time with us. It always takes two to communicate, Kate, so actually the privilege is mine.